Good morning and welcome to a good day. It's going to be an exciting day for us as we reflect on a few things that God has done and get excited about a few things that we believe that God wants to do this year. Uh, You know, if you're new with us today, let me just say, I'm really glad that you're here today. I hope that you'll come back next week for what's kind of a regular service, regular preaching, all those kinds of things. But I'm really glad that you're here today, actually, because you're going to get a glimpse at really who we are and where we feel like God is leading us to be in the next year. I always want to say this because we do our best to always get you out right on time, and today we're just not going to do that. So just be all right with it, okay? We're just going to be flexible for just a minute, uh, and we're going to take up a little bit more time than we would normally take to do those kinds of things. But I want to start with our story, and I know this is important to you, it's important to me. Uh, If you're new with us, you may not have heard this, especially if you've come in the last two years. And let me just do this for a second. If you've come to Judson in the last two years, would you raise your hand really high so that we can see it? Let's give all these folks a hand that are here in the last two years. That's awesome, isn't it? It's good to see that. Uh, We're named for the guy that you see right there. His name was Adoniram Judson. And our church was started in 1911, and it coincided with the 100-year anniversary of when Adoniram Judson took off for a place called Burma. It's called Myanmar today. But Adoniram Judson was one of the first American Christian missionaries to go there. And his legacy there is incredible. His strategy was really simple. It's so simple, but very effective. He learned the language. That'd be important if you were going to be a missionary, to know the language. He preached the gospel and distributed gospel tracts. Those little things that just, just share what the gospel is. He, he translated the Bible and he planted churches and trained pastors. And so much of that DNA is part of our church today. It's funny how someone we didn't know and someone the founders of our church didn't know influenced our church so much. And here 108 years later after our church is founded, that still continues to be part of who we are. You know, we want the gospel to be accessible in everyone's heart language. And that's felt here in so many different ways. But I don't know if you realize this, but every week during this service, there are men and women who translate this message faithfully for people who are are listening in Spanish. Right now they're doing it. Would you give our translators a hand this morning? Just thank them for their work. I speak with them often and they're always more tired than I am after this service, I promise you. It is hard work to do it, but they do it. And and when we talk about learning the language, we, we need to think about it in a couple of different ways. But one of the ways that I want you to think about it this year, especially with me, is that culture is a language. And culture is a language. You know, if you're from the North, you say pop or soda or something like that. And if you're from the South, you say, do you want to go get a Coke? I mean, it's those little cultural nuances that become really important when we talk about reaching out to people and making connections with people. And we need you to help us translate the culture. We need you to bridge some of those cultural divides. And God uniquely gifted you to do it because if you're a working mom, we need you to be able to speak the language of working moms and translate that cultural divide that's really important for us. Or if sports are your things, there's a culture of sport. There's a language of sport or business or whatever it is in your life that you're concerned with. There are other people concerned with that too. And we need you to help us translate that language in culture so that we can reach people. It's very important that we do that. We have to bridge that cultural divide. Uh, When we talk about Judson, one of the things that we understand is that he preached the gospel and distributed tracts indiscriminately. We believe in that all the time. We want to preach the gospel every Sunday. We want to preach the gospel every time we go out and engage people with the gospel. We still give out gospel tracts all the time. We believe it's so important for us to saturate this city 
with the gospel that we do this thing called gospel engagements here. Uh, Judson also translated the Bible, and I'm so proud to say that you have been a part of that. The work of the Toma translation is already to Faith Comes by Hearing that you worked with last year when Greg Pruitt was, was with us at our Global Impact Celebration, and we worked with pioneer Bible translators to get that accomplished, and Faith Comes by Hearing is working as hard as they can to make sure that everyone will be able to hear the gospel in their heart language. They're working at a feverish pace, and I'm so glad that we're still doing that. And Adoniram was, was very passionate about planting churches and training pastors. We've planted churches, and we're looking to plant more. We want to plant churches. We believe that every neighborhood in Nashville needs a faithful gospel expression. We believe that. We want that to happen. And so we're still working on planting churches and training pastors. In fact, this week kicks off our, our next season of pastor training through the Liberty Church Network. We're a training site, and we'll have pastors gathered here from all around our city to hear what God's doing from one of our Tennessee Baptist Mission Board leaders is going to be here this week training us as pastors to know what's effective, what's not effective from last year. What did we learn? And we're trying to build this learning cohort of pastors who will be able to go out and be effective in their church fields. And so we kind of sum up all of that into one thing and we call it our mission statement. And we just say it like this, we're a church family guiding people to take their next step in following Jesus. That word family is intentional for us because you don't have to be here long to understand that this is a friendly place that wants you to belong. We want you to belong here and be part of this family. And we want you to know the love of Christ and experience the connection of being in ministry with faithful believers who love you. And, and that's our mission. And it's a simple mission, but we really believe that it lines up with the Great Commission because anything that would take us away from the Great Commission isn't on point. That's really important, right? Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples. That's what that is. We want to help everybody take their next step. For some people, that's connecting them to the gospel. That's their next step. They've never heard about Jesus. That's the first step. For some, we just saw Kate give us a great testimony of, of what the next step is, being baptized. And we talk about this all the time, that some of our steps are in common. Everybody has them. You gotta be saved, need to be baptized, need to start studying the word of God. But what we find is that as we're on our Christian journey, our steps start to look a bit, little bit differently, don't they? A little bit different for me than maybe it is for you at this stage of my life and the stage of life that you're in. But God has a next step in faith and following him that we believe is important for everyone. And so we want you to find your next step. Maybe it's to surrender your life to foreign missions. Maybe it's to serve the, the church full time. Maybe it's just to read the Bible this year. Maybe it's to uh, just really dive in in your prayer life this year. Whatever it is, we want you to take your next step in following Jesus. And our mission supported by our values and how we measure those things. We have six values that guide everything. I want you to watch this video that expresses that for us. Our values are the foundation for our vision and ministry. Our measures tell us when we are successful. Values for a church are empty if they are not reflected in our individual lives. The Bible, God's never-changing word, guides us in an ever-changing world. Am I studying God's word? Am I reading, listening, memorizing, and obeying? Worship. God's revelation of himself guides us to worship him alone. Am I worshiping only God together, personally, and sacrificially? Community. God's design for relationships guides us to do life together. 
My Connecting in Life group. Caring, fellowshipping, inviting. Mission. God's love guides us to share Jesus at home and around the world. Am I reaching the lost? Praying, sharing, going? Giving. God's generosity toward us guides us to be generous in every way. Am I generous with my life, my time, my gifts, my finances? Multi-generational. God's faithfulness to all generations guides us to value every generation. Am I engaging other generations? Serving, learning, relating? When you see those, that's who we are. That, that's what we've built everything that we're trying to do on top of that. It's so important for us to understand that. And out of those values, we came up with something that we called the C3 strategy. If you look at that map that you see there, you'll notice that there are three circles and we want you to live in all three of them. We need you to live in all three of them. We talk about that we want you to connect first. You remember there are three things that we talk about connecting to. We want you to connect to Jesus first. We say it like this, everybody needs a connection to the Savior. And and if we connect people to the Savior and they ultimately land somewhere else, they go to another church, whatever, it doesn't matter. The mission is to connect them to the Savior. If we have an opportunity, we want to connect them to worship. And and I want to just say this. This is really important because once you're connected to Christ, there's an obedience factor of being connected in worship because it's commanded. It's not optional for the believer. If you're not connected in worship, you're actually violating God's command for every believer. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says about this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, the assembling of believers together in worship is important for us. It's taught throughout the entire scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and we see that as Jesus' return draws near, we're told to be doing it more and more, not less and less. I mean, it's a command for us, and I know one thing with 100% certainty, the day of Christ Jesus is closer than it's ever been. It's closer than it's ever been. Uh, Time is is running short, and we have this opportunity. And, And I want you to remember this. This is so important for us to see this. Jesus said, if you don't give me worship, the rocks will cry out. We don't need any rocks around here. We don't need any rocks. We got that job. That's ours. And we'll take care of it. That's our job to do that. And I want to say, we got a lot of parents right now who are engaging in worship and maybe sending their kids to life group or children's worship or youth life group. Let me just say something to you. What you model as important is what they'll take away. Not what I say. What you model as important is what they'll take away. And worship is that vital thing that connects us to the Lord. And we have this responsibility and we take it seriously. And after we connect and worship, Jesus worship, life group. Now, life groups aren't in the scripture. I'll give you that. I'll grant that. But Acts chapter 2 talks about it like this. It says, daily they were in house to house, fellowship together, breaking bread, studying the word of God, living off the apostles' teaching. And we do that on Sunday mornings in life group. And life groups are important because that's how you connect to people. That's how you'll know folks who will pray for you, who will take care of you, who will study the word of God with you. And so we want you to do that. The next kind of uh, circle that we want you to live in is the commit phase. 
Once you live uh, in a connected phase, we want you to be committed to growing, and then we want you to be committed to serving and giving. And we have three classes for that. We're going to teach you in the Grow class how to serve the Lord by understanding how to read the Bible and pray. It all starts there. Our service to the Lord starts with our connection to him. And we've got to know how to grow in our faith. And we want you to be committed to it. And then we'll teach you how to serve the Lord in a serve class with opportunities where you can learn how you've been uniquely gifted to serve the Lord because you have been. And when you're not using those gifts, the body of Christ suffers. We need you to be serving the local body of Christ. And then you say, a give class. Well, that's a little self-serving, isn't it? Well, I don't know. If you've been here long, you know we talk about giving a lot. We talk about it all the time because Jesus talked about it all the time. It was important to him. It's important to us. And here's the thing. When you learn how to give, you'll experience freedom that you've never experienced before in your life. I promise you. You'll be free from the love of money. It won't be that thing that's just, that's just holding on to you. And so as we talk about that, that becomes very important for us. And then that next circle we want you to live in is the commission circle. You see three things there. My story, his story, and global focus. My story. We want you to be able to tell your my story in two minutes or less. Why? Because God's given you a story and stories are powerful. Stories are something that can't be refuted. What God's done in your life, no one can take away. And we want you to share your story all the time with people. We want you to be able to do that. And we'll train you to do it in two minutes or less. And then we'll take you to his story. Let you take the Bible and just open it up and use four or five scriptures very simply to lead someone through the gospel story so that they can know how they can receive Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And then we want you to be part of Global Focus. That's our mission strategy here. We want you to be on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ here and around the world. And so when you do that, you notice that that arrow keeps going back because you're not finished yet. We want you to be a guide. We want you to go through this process and then take someone else through it. Show someone else how they can be connected. Show someone else how they can be committed. Show someone else how they can be commissioned. I mean, go on a mission trip with somebody. Get, get them to go with you. If you've been on one before, take away the, the kind of scary part of all of that and say, come on, I'll go with you. Let's do this together. Guide them through that. It becomes really important. Now, you may not be sure what your next step is on the map, and if you'll stop by the Next Steps desk, Pastor Nathan will be there today and we can let you know exactly where to jump in and get started on that. And, and we'll get you on that because the map is just a simple tool for us to make sure that we're moving, to make sure that we're doing that. Now, I, I wanna share a couple of things that have come out of the last two years. Since we started this vision process, we said it would be a three to five year vision. And I wanna share a couple of those things. And the first thing that comes to my mind, and if you do this for me, I want you to hold your applause to the end just in the interest of time because these are exciting things and they're great things, but let's wait till we get them all done, okay? Uh, the first thing that's important was the 100,000 gospel engagements. That's an amazing number. We call a gospel engagement whenever we're able to speak the name of Jesus into someone's life. So you're able to pray for a coworker. You're able to invite someone to church. You give them a gospel track. You tell them your story. All of those things are gospel engagements. And in the last two years, you have far exceeded our expectations of what that would look like. And when everybody told us we would never make it in the first year with 50,000 gospel engagements, you did. And you did it again last year. And all of that's important, remember, because we're moving towards 150,000 gospel engagements over three years. And you did it. And I couldn't be more excited than I am about that. Also, during this two-year time period, you have given $1.4 million to missions. Let that sink in for a second. That's $1.4 million that didn't stay in this church. 
That's $1.4 million that was given through Global Focus and the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention, which we're a part of. Every dollar that you give in our worship service, a portion of that goes to the Southern Baptist Convention to fund missions and to fund seminaries and to fund those cooperative efforts that we kind of get together on. But also a portion of every dollar that you give to Global Focus goes to kingdom purposes through the SBC like the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, which goes straight to missionaries uh, to fund their salaries, uh, the, the Tennessee Baptist uh, Adult Homes. I mean, all of those things are funded through the mission giving that you're, you've been faithful to do. And we have made a difference around the world just over the last two years, $1.4 million given to missions. We've also had more than 400 people go through our C3 strategy. Those three circles, you've engaged in it at least. You may not have finished it, but you've started it. And you remember that we said two years ago we wanted 500 people because that represented the amount of high school students and adults that were here on an average Sunday. We leave the, the middle schoolers out of this and, and let them kind of have a little bit of fun. The children don't have to go through the C3 strategy. But we said, hey, there's 500 of us good, that could be on point and on mission, and 400 of you have done that. I'm so proud of you for doing that. I want you to make sure this year, if you haven't finished the map, it's time to finish the map. It's time to get on there. Haven't taken a mission trip? Do it. Haven't engaged in the classes? Do it. It's time for us to do that so that we can get that done. The next thing that you did was kind of a surprise for us. We said that we wanted a pipeline of interns that would come out and become the next generation of church leaders. And we really saw that as something we wouldn't start until this year. God had other plans. After year one, we started that. And we had one intern already complete the residency. He's now a pastor in Columbia, Tennessee, serving a church there. And praise God for that. And we have two interns right now that are almost finished with that one-year residency who will be released to go out and do ministry as well. So we're excited to see that God is already moving us down the road on that. Uh, the next thing that we can celebrate is that over the same time period that you gave $1.4 million to missions, oddly enough, you gave $1.4 million to reduce our debt. That's an amazing number. When I took over as your pastor three and a half years ago, we owed about $7.2 million on our debt for our building that we were paying off. And by God's grace, by your faithfulness to give, and by the refinance that Pastor Todd was able to help us get done through, through that company we worked with called Thrivent, we went from owing about 18 years of repayments down to 12. That's where it sits at right now. Now look, that's good, but it ain't good enough. It's not good enough. 2025, folks. I don't want to be talking about debt. 2025. Let's get that done. Let's be faithful to keep giving. Now, take a breath, because we're not going to have a giving campaign this year. But that doesn't mean you're off the hook, okay? Join me. Keep giving. We're going to keep giving this year. Maybe not to the level that we gave last year in that special emphasis, but we need to knock that down. Today, we've gone from $7.2 million to $5.8 Praise the Lord for that. We're excited about that opportunity. But here's the thing. This is what gets me excited. This is what keeps us going. Over the last two years, 73 people have been baptized in our church. Isn't that good news right there? Doesn't that make you happy to know that? Now listen, that doesn't count everybody that came to know Christ during that time period. For instance, we had 10 students that gave their life to Christ at Wipeout. They don't even go to our church. Praise the Lord for that. But we count baptisms, and it's important for us to count baptisms because that's someone who received Christ but then started on the path, right? And, and we're able to watch that and see that. I want you to know that as Tennessee Baptist, our director uh, of the state uh, for Tennessee has asked us 
to really ramp up the baptism numbers because the high water mark for Tennessee Baptists was 50,000 in a year. And I believe it happened in the 1950s. Now, 60,000 people are moving to the state every year. We're growing like crazy in our state. And right now, we're averaging about 26,000 baptisms a year. I want to see our number go from 73 to 150 in a year. Wouldn't that be exciting that every week we were having to rearrange the service to have baptism? You don't mind getting out a little late when we have baptism, do you? You don't mind if we don't sing it a little extra if we have a baptism, do you? Because that's what it's all about. Of all the things that we do, it's introducing people because what that, record, what that kind of uh, symbolizes for us, I'll get the word out in a minute, is that somebody that was snatched from death to life, right? And so that's important. Would you give God just a little bit of glory for these things that we've seen him do? Isn't that good? Praise the Lord for that. It's just good for us. So let's, let's move from talking about what God's done in two years to what we really see him doing this year because this is important for us. You know that every year we like to kick off the year with 90 days of emphasis. We believe that we put a couple of things at the kind of the forefront of our ministry for 90 days and that really helps us move things along to accomplish what God wants us to do for the whole year. And the first thing that you see there is that we're doing our renewal conference again. And this year, the theme of it is reset. Renewal conference is going to be a little bit different this year. We're going to start it on Sunday morning next week. You say, well, why are we doing that? Because y'all are backslidden and a bunch of you will be watching the Super Bowl next Sunday night. <laughs> you know, I can't help it. So here's what we're going to do. We're doing it on Sunday morning and then the following three Sunday nights. And next week, we have a tool that we want to give you. We want you to take it. We want everyone in here to take one of these. And it's a prayer reset book. And it really is going to be focusing us on resetting our spiritual lives. And I believe, honestly, that this could be the most significant thing that we do all year long. I really believe this, folks. I believe it. You know, the Gospel of Matthew records an unusual interaction that Jesus had at the temple. I want to read it for you. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all of those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Now, you're probably familiar with that story. And maybe you've even read uh, where the, one of the other gospel writers talks about he, he, he literally took a whip and is driving people out of the temple, right? I mean, that's a, that's a strange thing for us to think about, that, that something would bother our Lord and Savior so much that he would do that. And, and I was familiar with the story. I've read it so many times. But verse 13, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You know, I need to make a confession to you. I think about this church all the time. I think about it when I'm here. I think about it when I wake up and I start my prayer time. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about this church. I think about the next sermon. I think about the processes and systems that we have here. I'm consumed with it. But I gotta make this confession. I haven't always thought about it being a house of prayer. That's wrong. It's wrong. Jesus said of his own Worship experience, that, that house that he worshiped in. This is a house of prayer. And I believe it's possible to have the right vision. I believe you can have the right direction and be lacking all the power to fulfill it. 
Because prayer is the power that powers the engine of the church. It's got to be. And we're not doing great in that, and that's on me, folks, and we're going to change it in the first 90 days. We're going to reflect that differently in the first 90 days. And I long for God's power to be displayed through our church, not because we had a gimmick or we had some marketing campaign or, or because we had a, a sermon or because we had music or because you liked the activities of our church. I long for it to be powerful because it was powered by prayer. And that the Holy Spirit alive in us was raising something in us to make a difference in this city. Listen to me. Don't miss the renewal conference. Do not miss it. Plan on being here next Sunday morning and the following three Sunday nights because it's gonna finish with us doing something we've never done. We're gonna take a week at the very end of February and do a week of prayer and fasting as a church. And you say, what are we fasting for? The presence of the Lord. That's it. Just that we'll know him and the power of his resurrection. I believe that God has something special planned for us on the other side of that. I want you to see the, the next thing that we want to do is this thing that we're calling Connect One. When you leave today, you're going to get a vision booklet, but you're also going to get a little card. It just says Connect One. And, and we want you to connect someone. Uh, in March, we're going to spend some time in all of our life groups. Our life group teachers are going to get uh, some special uh, lessons for us to go over as we study the scripture where we're really focusing in on what it means to connect someone else to God's great purpose. What does it mean for us to be so focused on that? And we're going to take four weeks to really study that, and it's all going to culminate on April 5th, Palm Sunday. We want that to be a Connect Sunday. We're going to do another one in the fall, but we want you to connect someone to this church who doesn't go to church. We want you to connect them. And the Connect One card is just a card to remind you to pray. And on that weekend of Palm Sunday, we're going to have a Connect One activity. You'll hear more about that coming up. But we have a really exciting opportunity planned for you there to really get out in some of our neighborhoods and just let people know that we care for them in a real tangible way. We have something that we're going to do there. So make sure that you're, you're ready for that and that you're praying for that. Be praying for someone in your life to be connected because I want to just tell you, if every one of us connected somebody to Jesus this year, this church will look completely different. It'll be completely different. And guys, we don't talk about growth. We don't talk about numbers. We don't talk about, you know, we're trying to, to reach this next plateau or something like that. But I've got to tell you this. This year, we have to grow. It is not an option. We do not have a choice. If we're going to be able to plant more churches, that requires people to send out, right? We, we've got to be able to grow this year. I want that to be on your mind. I want you to be praying about that. I want you to be praying about that person who needs to know Christ right now in your life that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And then we have one last thing that we've decided to jumpstart in our first 90 days. And we really want to start some new life groups, particularly for young married adults. And I wanna just hang out here for just a second. Last week, Pastor Jack and Jennifer started a new life group class and they're leading that class. It's going great. It's a multiplication class. And this is important that you understand this. Their class is meant to multiply. They started it with the, with the very heart that we want to multiply out another class as soon as we can. And I believe in that first week, they had 12 couples that came to that class, some who'd not been part of our church before. Praise the Lord for that. We're excited about that. 
We, we want to connect as many people as we can. We're working on that through our More Than Moms ministry. But in the same week that they started that, they also started uh, a new Bible study called The Art of Marriage with Alan Delinia Paninsky leading that with them. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say. We planned on 10 couples being in that class. 27 signed up. Now, last year, Pastor Jack and I spent a lot of time talking about some of the things that we felt like we really needed in our church. And one of those things that we felt like we really needed is that there was this, this really big hole in our lives, in adult ministry, particularly in our young families, with someone being able to speak into that life. And, and we've, we've been praying about that and asking God to do that. And as we did that, we've come to a conclusion, and we've run this through our ministry team, our deacons, and, and also our personnel team. And so we've made the decision, and Pastor Jack is 100% all in on this, Pastor Jack is going to be moving to a new role, and it's going to be called the Pastor of Family Life and Discipleship. We believe that what we've seen happen is that there's been this exposing of a need with this art of marriage class. We, we knew we needed to go in that direction, but we weren't sure how big that need was, and now we're seeing it. And we want to build great moms and dads who raise great kids, and that's really important for us. So that obviously means then, well, what are you going to do about children's ministry? And next week, my prayer is that I'll have something to tell you about that because tonight our personnel team is going through the process of talking to a candidate that I hope will be able to come back and share with you next week who will be coming here to be our next children's pastor. And we believe that what that's going to do is allow us to do something really important. And it comes out of a verse of scripture that God gave me in the fall of the year and I can't get it off of my brain. I want to read this because it's just after Noah has come off the ark. The Bible says this in Genesis 8.21. Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took of every clean animal and every clean bird and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. You understand that Noah gets off the ark after being on there forever, right? And he builds this altar. And I don't think we realize what it means that he's sacrificing one of every clean animal. Can you imagine how long that took? I mean, that, that's, that's got to be, I mean, from sunup to sunup, he's working, he's sacrificing, doing this. And the scripture says this in verse 21. It, it says the Lord had this soothing aroma come up to him, that something about that offering was soothing to the Lord and it satisfied the Lord. And the Lord makes this promise out of that offering, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you just grateful that God will never destroy the earth again by flood? And it's because of this offering going up. But God says something very interesting. And as I read it, I couldn't get it out of my brain. It says, for the intent of man's heart is evil from youth. We've known for a long time that the majority of people who come to know Jesus Christ, and the numbers are staggering, do so before the age of 14. They do it before the age of 14. Because the scripture seems to indicate here, there, there's something happened, there's a turning that happens in the heart of a youth, right? There's something that happens where that heart's not quite as soft maybe as it had been. And all of a sudden we begin to see this turning happening. And I think as a church, as we look towards the future, we've said a couple of things that we wanted to sow the seeds of the gospel so the next generation would reap the harvest. 
right? We want them to be able to do that. We want our children and grandchildren to be able to reap a harvest so much so that what we said was, Lord, we're okay if we're not seeing the harvest. We'll scatter the seeds. We want them to reap the harvest. That's our prayer, Lord, that we see a a revival in this generation that's coming behind us, that you raise up the next Billy Graham, that you raise up the next Adoniram Judson out of this group of people. God, would you do it? For us to do that, we've got to double down. We've got to double down on our efforts to reach children. We've got to double down on our efforts to reach youth. We've got to double down on our efforts to build strong families of these these children. And so we're doing that. We we really feel that that God is calling us to do that and to step out in that. And so we feel like with Jack going to family life and discipleship, he'll head up all of our discipleship programs, our life group classes, our men's ministry, and really be pouring into that. And now we'll have a children's pastor who can be focused on children. As I was talking to the candidate who we're talking to, he asked me a question not long ago. He said, have you ever done um, kind of like an inquirer's class for children? And I was like, well, I know what do you mean. He said, well, I found that with older children, a lot of time they have questions that if you just answer them, they're ready to receive the gospel. But they just have questions. Could we do something like that if I came to Judson? Yes. We could do something like that. Anytime you want to share the gospel with kids, 100%, let's do it. Anytime you want to engage in their family life that way, yes, let's do that. Let's double down on this because we live in a different city, right? We live in a city, I talk about this all the time. I don't think you guys realize the task that's been given to our student pastors. I don't think you realize what they have to deal with all the time. We're ministering over 40 schools. How do you build a youth group out of 40 schools? Here's how. You start when they're children. You don't just have church friends, you have friends. I don't want our kids to have church friends. I want this to be their friends. So that as they grow up and go into merge, they're growing, they're growing and going with a group of people. As they move out of merge and they go into middle school and high school ministry, that they're going and growing with a group of people whose parents are connected and who they are in friendship with so that they can grow to be all that God wants them to be. Well, if we do these things in the first 90 days, I believe it really puts us in a great position to do what you know we have to do this year. And that's another 50,000 gospel engagements. We have to do it. It's so important. We're seeding the seeds of the gospel. We're sowing the seeds every chance that we have the opportunity to. I want you to recommit yourself today to gospel engagements because we know that as we do this, God is moving. God is introducing people to himself. God is showing people that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly and that it was God's kindness that made him do it. We, we understand that we need to share that with everybody. We can't go away from that. That's the mission of the church. And as we do it, it gets us in position to those things that we're looking forward to. You remember what we said at the beginning of this, as we go forward into the future, what we're looking for is we wanna have churches planted. But not only that, we wanna strengthen churches in the city. Do you know what it costs the kingdom when a church closes its doors? We can't just be about planting new churches because churches are closing their doors at an alarming rate. Hundreds of churches across our country are closing their doors. I was with our director of Tennessee Baptist this past week, and he made this statement. He said, you know, if we don't do something now in Tennessee, Tennessee is going to look like the Northeast. 
and somebody said something to him. Oh, well, Brother Randy, you're crazy. There's a church on every corner. And he said, you know what? I was just in Boston. You know what I saw? A church on every corner. But now they're an antique shop, a coffee shop, a brewery, a social center. The buildings are there. The steeples still adorn the skyline. And what we say today is that we want to make it really difficult for you to go to hell from Tennessee. We want to make that hard. We want to make it that you've had to run over people who stood in your way and say, I love you. We want to make it difficult for that person who, who, who just is not, I'm out of this, I'm, I'm not doing. We don't want it to go because we, want, we don't want them to, to die not knowing Christ because we didn't share, because we were lazy, because we didn't care enough. We want to make it difficult. We want to make it that thing that people say, I've heard the gospel message a thousand times, praise the Lord. We want to make sure that every man, woman, boy, and girl in this city gets an opportunity because they deserve it to hear the best news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that this year you are as excited about the things that we feel like God is about to do because I believe that this year has the opportunity to be like no other year that we've ever had. I want to leave you with this Bible verse. Would you look at it with me? I came across this last fall and it's just kind of resonating through this vision, I, I think, as we talk about these things because we can't do it on our, our own. Lord, save us. That's something we could pray again today, isn't it? Lord, save us. And then, Lord, grant us success. You know, if anything happens around here, it's not because we had a good idea. It's not because we had the right people in place. It's, not, it's because the Lord granted us success. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. That's what we want. We don't need rocks to tell us that we should worship the Lord. We do it on our own, and we ask him today to save us and grant us success. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads with me. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We're just going to close in prayer and then we're going to sing a song of response together. But I would ask you today, would you join us in praying about the vision of your church? Would you ask the Lord to save us and grant us success? Would you right now begin asking God to help you to connect one person to Jesus this year? Lord, our best laid plans are nothing. If you don't get behind it, Lord... And so we declare these things to be true this morning. You said you would build the church. Holy Spirit, we declare that you are convicting the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. You are working even now to connect people. May we join you in the fields this year.
Father, we pray that you would be pleased with our worship, that you would receive it as a soothing aroma like you did Noah's offering. And Father, we pray that this year we'd see more than ever before children, students, adults coming to faith and being baptized. Lord, grant us success. Give us opportunities. Give us your favor in this city. Lord, we still believe that the gospel is powerful, powerful to save, and that you are mighty to save. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.